0: And then I realized that sales can be looked at through the lens of data, because when you take a opportunity and really examine it, you can see that particular opportunity with data. You can cut through a lot of the noise that you tend to get when you talk to a sales rep about their opportunity. And so having really actionable data, very transparent kind of methodology to use and and asking the right questions is how we were able to really hone in on our sales strategy and improve that. You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a B2B podcast that brings you the juiciest insights from go-to-market leaders and practitioners.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Sunnyside Up podcast. I am your host, Devin Cohen, and today I'm super excited to talk with Paul Curto from Tech to Sales Leadership, unveiling a journey of methodologies and strategies. Um, Paul, super excited to have you on the show and everybody to to give a little bit of background on Paul. Paul is passionate about enhancing sales teams and customer experiences, and he specializes in alleviating retail analytics challenges. His focus lies in empowering brick and mortar retailers with e-commerce style analytics and driving data-driven decisions. With a career marked by inspiring sellers, he places extreme emphasis on matching solutions to outcomes and fostering lasting win relationships. Sales strategy, enriched by customer-centric methodologies is his forte, and that's driven by enablement and sales technology. Paul is dedicated to helping his clients achieve business success while ensuring exceptional back-based decision-making and unparalleled customer satisfaction. All super excited to be talking with you here today. Thanks so much, Devin. Pleasure to be here. Really appreciate the invite. Yeah. Happy to have you here and thank you for coming. And yeah, Paul, like I kind of broke down for the listeners at home, you have a really interesting background, right? You started out on the technical side of things and then over the years kind of made the move into marketing and then sales roles, eventually moving on to leading your own sales team. Tell us a little bit more about that journey.
0: Yeah, I appreciate the question. You know, I did start out More on the technical side, I think in part driven by my father's influence as an engineer and going into the academic career of engineering at his request in part. I always had an interest in business and I always had an interest in sales, but didn't really know much about it. So really spent the first almost decade or so of my career really getting into the technology with networking and doing different network style upgrades and designs and deployments and traveling the world doing that kind of work, which was actually pretty exciting and fun, made a pivot into consulting shortly after that, because I wanted to get into the business management side of consulting and try to understand how that business worked. And really that foray was with Deutsche Telekom and getting into their understanding of how network technologies and innovation from Silicon Valley could help feed into their portfolio. So that got me out into the valley and then after that, I got into technical marketing, which is kind of a good mix of technology and marketing, which got me a good sense of, you know, how do you market a product with test data that helps back up that the marketing slides are actually, in fact, real world and not just vaporware. And so that's a fun thing. Get also getting into competitive testing and things like that. It really wasn't until about 10 years ago that I made another pivot into sales. And that first foray was with a company that I worked for called Aruba Networks. They eventually got purchased by Hewlett Packard and became part of Hewlett Packard Enterprise. And in that that role, I was basically looking at large new business that our CEO had on its list of must-win opportunities that my boss at the time, who was kind of acting COO, said, you know, let's just get all the resources and support the sales team needs to go win. I said, okay, well, that makes a lot of sense. We'll rally the troops around that. But the other part of it was, what's the strategy here? And so the sales team was using a methodology they called Miller-Hyman at the time, strategic selling. It's now owned by Corn Ferry. And I said, why don't I take the Miller-Hyman class so I at least understand this, this concept of like sales strategy as it relates to opportunities? And so I became educated on that. We got certified and then we had a program to teach the course ourselves within the company and that actually helped build a lot of credibility. And then I realized that sales can be looked at through the lens of data because when you take a opportunity and really examine it, you can see that particular opportunity with data. You can cut through a lot of the noise that you tend to get when you talk to a sales rep about their opportunity. They could talk your ear off for you know half an hour and you're still not really sure are we going to win this or not? And so having really actionable data, having, you know, very transparent kind of methodology to use and, and asking the right questions is how we were able to really hone in on our sales strategy and improve that. And so that was my foray into sales. That led to running a couple different sales support teams. That led to starting up an enablement function. And then I took another career turn to really dive into enablement very wholeheartedly. I was at Juniper for a couple of years and really scaled out a very large enablement organization over there. And then coming to Retail Next, that was my last move. When I first joined Retail Next, part of the organizational transformation they were trying to make is to become a data-driven sales organization. And I brought a number of different functions together under one roof, which included marketing operations, product marketing, sales operations, sales enablement and strategy and then inside sales. And that was when I first joined the company a year and a half ago. took about a year to build a lot of the sales technology stack that we needed to modernize. As well, I taught a methodology to the company called Medic. And Medic is actually very similar to the Miller-Hyman program. I picked up my Medic knowledge at Juniper. So I brought that into Retail Next in part because it's an open source methodology that's very similar to the Miller-Hyman program, so I was very well-versed in it. And by building that out in Retail Next, not only through the sales technology, but in terms of the process and how we analyze key deals and opportunities, that was a big part of my role was to coach the reps at Retail Next and help them really put the medic methodology to action. And so then I made another change earlier in this year, when a peer of mine who was running field sales internationally left the company, that opened the door for me to take on a sales management role, which I was uh, lucky enough to have that opportunity to jump into. So now I have really prim- a primary function of field management responsibility. Um, I have seven reps who report into me who have closing responsibility for the Americas. So I run America's sales. I still have the international inside sales function and the sales enablement function, but I've moved some of the other functions back to other managers so that I can focus really on the field sales element, which has been a unique experience. It's been a great experience and it's uh, kind of put me into the line of fire in a way that I, you know, I've always been sort of supporting those who are in the line of fire. Now I'm in the line of fire and it's been a great way to kind of put all my methodology and, you know, analytical abilities
1: and expertise to the test. Love the background. Thank you for all the context, Paul. And What was super interesting to me was like the concept of a data-driven sale, right? And I think it's something that is newer to a lot of companies today, right? But someone like yourself who's been doing it for years and years, it's no wonder, right, why you've been so successful. Could you elaborate for our audience on what Retail Next does? Because I know your product is very data-driven with the the types of insights that you provide for your brand's.
0: Yeah. Thanks for that question. You know, Retail Next is a really interesting company, really interesting story. We've been around for over 15 years. The company is in the retail analytics space. And the way I, it's kind of the easiest way to describe it is we bring e-commerce style analytics to the brick and mortar store. Now, a lot of people thought retail stores were dead. We obviously had COVID, which didn't help a few years ago when the world went into lockdown and people really didn't want to be in public. But what we found is that every call for retail, physical stores to go away has been an incorrect call. And what we're seeing is, yes, there are malls that have closed. And what's happened really is a reshuffling of assets, more of a reprioritization. The stronger locations have clearly won out. And a lot of the the anchor stores that attract a lot of clientele you know, still make business cases in the, in that space. So a lot of the brands in the digital side who are, let's say, digital natives, the kind of online-only brands that got their start growing in a direct-to-consumer kind of shipping model. Those businesses had great growth stories, but what happens is they run into a brick wall when they realize that in order to attract new customers, one of the best ways to do that is open a physical presence. People like to walk into a store. They like to experience the product. They like to engage and interact with that product. They need to talk to a sales associate and ask questions and get a certain level of service and support. They need to experience you know, the brand. And so in order for a company to, to start to grow and scale that type of physical presence, they need Retail Next or a company like us to offer them a way to count in a accurate way, in a very highly accurate way, all the traffic coming in and out of that store at a very baseline minimum. So one of our products is a sensor. It's a stereoscopic computer vision enabled camera system that you would place one of these devices in the front of your store, um, right at the entrance, kind of looking down. And what we do is we track analytically all the people coming in and out of the store with a very high level of accuracy. We're able to do demographic uh, analysis, you know, male versus female, adult versus child type of analysis. We can do directional analysis. We can integrate with the point of sale systems and start to get certain key metrics like traffic conversion shoppers per labor hour? How's all this tying into your average transaction value? And when you start to expand your number of stores from 5 to 10 to to 20 to 100 or even to 1,000, the scaling really becomes difficult. So how do you have a accountability discussion with 500 store managers about conversion if you're not counting people accurately and you don't really know what your traffic is and you don't really understand your conversion and you haven't baselined it, and you don't know how to goal these stores, and you don't understand year over year in different performance de- uh, differences in different geographies. So you need to be able to manage a scaling retail physical brick and mortar business with data. And so we provide the e-commerce style data that you would need to grow into a physical brick and mortar presence. In addition, you know we're able to take over existing camera systems. We have a a great loss prevention and uh, asset protection module that helps to analyze risk from transaction data. So we can say, hey, who were your highest risk cashiers? Where were your highest risk stores? And let's go back to the videotape and watch what actually happened at the time of those transactions where no shopper was present, but there was a cash return and that kind of thing. So really helping speed up investigations and reduce shrink. And then the other part of our solution is really when you get into the interior of the store and you start to analyze analytically, what were some of the things that happened around a fixture or around a display or what kind of queuing delays might you have experienced around these cash wraps? What does the customer journey look like? Where were they dwelling? Where were they engaging? Where did they stop by multiple times? Was an employee able to engage that shopper? And if so, did that engagement lead to a better quality experience, a better quality outcome? Ultimately, we want to see more conversion from that engagement and also better transactions, better quality transactions, and so forth. So in a nutshell, we are a store platform that works for across all of the different groups from operations, marketing, merchandising. We help to do uh, labor optimization. We work with loss prevention teams, but we're that retail store platform of the future that helps uh, our customers really build and scale meaningful, profitable, high-performance
1: businesses. Love the background. Yeah. Thank you for all the context, Paul. And I think it's pretty clear for the listeners, right, what sort of technical mind you have after hearing that explanation. I want to take a little bit of a step back, kind of back to the the sales team and, and the sales methodologies that are so important to you. You'd mentioned Medic and Miller-Iman both a couple of times now. For the listeners out there, could you give like a brief summary of each or maybe call out like some of the distinct differences? between the two? Because I know there's so much overlap between these different methodologies that it can make it kind of challenging for businesses to decide which one is really going to be the right fit for their team.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, the Miller-Hyman program now owned by Corn Ferry has a ton of similarities to Medic. So I'll kind of go through the Medic version and then maybe draw some similarities to Miller-Hyman where it's appropriate. But, you know, the way I start off with Medic is to say it's not in the right order. It doesn't start with M. It re- usually really starts with the I, which is the identify pain, Could, because typically you're, you need to identify some kind of a pain that the customer has, and that the customer needs to be aware of that pain and sort of agree to the fact that this is a challenge for them. Otherwise, you really don't have any kind of opportunity to work from. Once you've identified a pain, you know the customer's going to need to go through some kind of an evaluation process, and they need to analyze like all the different potential solutions on the market and you know, in some ways you want to put on your consulting hat and help them figure out and make sense of all that. But their decision criteria is going to be really important to define. And so that is part of the D, the first D in medic. And that decision criteria really needs to be tied to how are we going to decide on the best solution forward that solves that pain? And then the decision process, who are all the people involved? What are are all the steps? How do we need to kind of go through our own process? Try to understand that really well It was important for the seller as much even acting like a consultant as for the customer because sometimes big, large, complex customers don't even know their own process and what they need to follow to get things done. In terms of the M, it's really about the metrics. What are the specific dollars and cents and values that they're going to use to measure success and how are they going to decide? So if you're getting into a situation where you have a proof of concept or a pilot, having really well-defined success criteria... Is important but also understanding how like what is success look like what is you know visualize ideal future state what is that for you so hopefully our solution helps you achieve some of those things that you're looking for in terms of solving your pain and we can show you how to do that and we can actually show it in your environment ideally so that would be the MN medic when you get into some of the people there's certain archetypal you know personas that we, we go after in, in, in any particular sale The E in Medic is the economic buyer, and it's very similar to the economic buyer in Miller-Hyman, very similar to that program, but you you basically have a, a concept of someone who is the most senior level executive who cares about this project in a sense of the business outcomes that it solves for. And typically, they're the ones who own the bank account. They're the ones who can authorize the release of funding. And a lot of times when you come in to a new account, let's say in an RFP or something, It's typically delegated down to a much lower level, and so the people at that level are going to block you from getting to the economic buyer, so it's really tough to get up to that level, and or you may not even know who this person is, you can't identify them, okay? So having a strategy to come in high into the account is really important, and having access to that person, of course, is always important as part of your deal strategy, but not having access also can be a giant red flag. And then when you get into the other concept of a champion in medic, which is one of the C's, that's really tied into having someone who is fighting for you on the inside, who has a high degree of influence with the buying committee, can kind of pull strings and make things happen, but also give you tips and tricks for how to strategize and how to, you know, some inside scoops on like, okay, maybe we should do it this way and giving you some guidance on how to to best sell the opportunity. Now, why they're helping you is typically tied to a personal win, and there's a lot of commonality between Miller-Hyman and Medic in that regard, is that you know this idea that the champion has a personal win, Miller-Hyman calls them a coach, but it's basically the same definition. And ultimately, they're pulling for you for a reason that they're winning personally. And so, you typically want to have as many champions as you can, but if you even have one, you're lucky. And so one of the strategies with Medic is to identify a champion and develop them into a champion and show them that you're playing win, you're trying to help them win personally, usually something to do with professional development, something to do with how they're seen within the buying organization. Maybe they're new into that role or they're just trying to kind of move up in a promotional way. In any case, people buy for personal reasons, even at work. And so when the seller is trying to help you look good for your boss and try to, help you make the right decision and become seen as a superhero inside the buying team, that, you know, that's when you really start to make magic happen with these deals. So kind of bringing it all together, You know, there's certain pieces of data that we need in order to identify all the criteria around MEDIC. The last C I didn't cover is, is competition. So you need to also understand the competitive landscape and how your customer sees through the lens of their eyes, the competition's strengths and weaknesses as it relates to you. And then once you've taken inventory of everything you know and everything you don't know, you basically have what, what we would call red flags and strengths in Miller-Hyman program. It's basically a similar thing from a medic perspective. Any information you don't have is a red flag. So we just need to identify a strategy to go get that data. And we need to identify ways to overcome those red flags by leveraging from strengths. And that becomes a strong action plan that we then go execute. And so it's actually part qualification Methodology, in part, coming up with really strong, smart actions, and then iterating through that whole process of discovery. You know, making sure we sit down every couple of weeks at a minimum to discuss each deal and say, where you know, what have we done in the past? What do we learn, and what are we going to go do next in order to improve our position and ensure a successful buying outcome? You know, for us, that's win for the customer.
1: Yeah, no, that that's a really great breakdown. Thank you for the insight there. And I guess to kind of piggytail off that, like as someone who has implemented medic methodology activities and these in the past, what are some like steps or tips that you could offer um, for enablement or ops professionals that would likely be going through this process as well?
0: Yeah. I mean, part of it is just teaching the concepts, making sure people are aware of and reinforce these concepts with your team, either through deal reviews or through conversation It might be on a team call where we bring someone's deal forward and we kind of analyze it and using that common language together. Okay, who was the economic buyer? Do we have access to them? How do we access them? What were some of the champions wins and personal wins? And you know, what were the key criteria for success that you identified for the pilot? And how do we measure that and showcase that? All these are the kinds of things that we can do just from a pure coaching as managers reinforcement standpoint. When you get into the sales technology stack, there's actually a few interesting things that we've done that that I believe other companies can easily do. We have a conversation intelligence tool called Gong. And within Gong, we set up medic trackers. So these are trackers that for each of the letters of medic, they're looking for certain keywords. Take the competition. One of our big competitors is ShopperTrack. So anytime you hear ShopperTrack, it's going to tag that. But we're also looking for certain keywords or phrases that tie into you know, what are the metrics for success? What are the su- success criteria in the pilot? So when you say success criteria, metrics for success, those phrases are now going to trigger the met- the metrics tracker for medic to go off. So then I can take all that data and I can start to put it onto a deal board and say for all my key deals, I want to look at all the medic trackers and see who's talking about the the things that I want them to talk about in all their key deals and how is that leading to better outcomes. So we've done those that sort of analytics and that kind of analysis and that's helped us out significantly. The other piece that we've added is a medic opportunity review form and we put that into our Salesforce instance. And we have this notion of a key deal, which is basically what's one of your top three to five opportunities in your pipeline that's going to help you make your number that's meaningful to you that we would call kind of a must-win opportunity. So once we have And by the way, every rep is assigned the sales objective to have at least three key deals at any one time. And then for every key deal, which is a a little flag in Salesforce, we mandate that there is a medic form filled out for that key deal, and that we need to sit down and review your key deals once every couple of weeks. And that's true for every rep. So that's the kind of thing we're doing just to ensure adoption, reinforcement, and application of medic as it kind of goes through for new members of the organization as well as some of the more tenured groups.
1: Yeah, I love that answer. And I would echo the same thing, like that reinforcement, right? And the accountability that you need to hold your team to to make sure that it's not just right a wasted expense where people are going through a training, but something that gets integrated into the day-to-day moving. Love that. And to kind of close things out, Paul. Any good reads, like any books, blogs, newsletters, things like that you might recommend to our listeners?
0: Yeah, there's actually some of the books that I think are best in class reading that are almost like, you know, what are table stakes? One is Cracking the Sales Management Code. I think that one, it's a little bit of an older book now, but the idea or the concept is that it's not easy to manage to sales objectives or company objectives, but but because they're not actionable. So for example, if I told you, go out and get me some more, more pipeline, you know, that's not the easiest thing to do. Or if I say, go win me more business in this particular segment of the market, okay, that, that's great, but it's hard to manage to that. What is easier to manage to is sales activity. And so the types of sales activity you can manage to are things like how many meetings you have on the calendar, how many calls have you made this week, how many emails have you sent, how many LinkedIn messages is kind of examples of sales activity. And these sorts of activities might lead to better results. So if I want you to build pipeline, I might say, well, how many new accounts have you touched this week or this month? How many new contacts are you actually prospecting? And how is that the level of prospecting activity? Are you managing your calendar to that? And so I've actually taken cracking the sales management code a step further by bringing another sales technology stack vendor into the mix for our company called Atrium, which was literally built on the concept of cracking the sales management code. And it provides all of these rich dashboards and goal settings that you need in order to manage your sales team to the activity and not necessarily the result, but it does tie the two together. So that's a good one. I think the sales development playbook, because I have an inside sales team, I wanted to really fully understand how, you know, inside sales teams should be structured and how should they be managed and what are all the different things to think about as you build a function within an organization for inside sales. So that one's a really good one that I recommend anyone involved in inside sales, whether you be a rep just starting out or someone who's tasked with, you know, building out a function for a new company, that's one to definitely look at. A negotiation is definitely an interesting skill set that I think everyone can polish up on never split the difference, negotiate like your life depends on it. Chris Voss, I think is another great one. There's a couple other negotiation books I've seen, but it's like giving you some tactical tips and tricks for ways that you can improve your negotiation You know, day one. So those are some books. Lately, my team has been reading the SDR newsletter. I think that one has been a really good way to get tips and tricks. There's all kinds of tribal knowledge included in that one. There's industry influencers that I found through that newsletter. And I'll just rattle off a couple of examples of people that I've started following. So they're just free resources, influencers that you can follow. Charlotte Lloyd has been great. She's always putting out great content on her LinkedIn. Matt McNamara, who's got a YouTube channel, has had some really good like cold calling tips. And then you get introduced to just other influencers like Josh Braun, one person, Beck Holland, we had talked to at a previous company from an enablement standpoint, she's got a ton of stuff on her website that's just free. So there's a lot of resources out there that you can you can go look at and don't necessarily have to subscribe to.
1: Yeah, love that. Yeah, it's amazing how much knowledge share happens across LinkedIn in the sales world today. There's a lot of really great content creators out there that are just spewing knowledge that's super, super useful for sales teams. And to close things out, Paul, how can folks get in touch with you after the podcast?
0: Yeah, I think just find me on LinkedIn. I'm at linkedin.com slash in slash P-C-U-R-T-O. My first letter, my first name and last name. It's probably the easiest way to do it. I do check LinkedIn pretty regularly, pretty active there. And you can, you know, send me a message or
1: what have you there. Awesome. Well, really enjoyed having you on the podcast and our conversation, Paul. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks Devin, it was my pleasure. I uh, hope your audience got something useful out of this. I'm sure they did. Have a great day everybody.
0: Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is smarter GTM for B2B brands to help marketing and sales teams spot the juiciest opportunities earlier and progress them faster. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunnyside Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demand Base TV.